So obviously we're diving into the story of Noah. Um, this, this story spans over chapters Genesis 6 through 9. So this is the first of five weeks that we're going to be looking at this story. So we kind of dig in, all right? We're going to be here for a little while. Now, one of the dangers of a story like this is that it's familiar, okay? So here's probably the temptation for many of us is we hear this story and we think, well, I know this story. And so we just kind of give it a, a, a passing of our ears and then we're ready to kind of move on. If you're like me and you do a Bible reading plan, you get the stories like this and it's like, I know this story. I'm going to skim through it and then I'm going to move on to the next reading that is on my plan. Now, look, I want us to do something different though. All right. So here's, here's what you're probably thinking. You're like, all right, I know that Noah builds an ark. I know that Noah gets on this ark. I know that God brings animals to the ark, that they're in this ark for 40 days, 40 nights. At the end of it, there's this dove and an olive branch. There's also a rainbow in the sky. I know the story. Let's move on. But here's like, look, I, I want this familiarity to be something that we give pause to and we identify and we give our attention to these stories, even though they may seem familiar in our hearts. Here's ways that maybe you've experienced like some famili the familiarity that I'm talking about, right? So my home back in Kentucky, um, when we were preparing to move, here it is, just floods of memories as I look at that beautiful old house. So um, I, I, as we were getting ready to sell this house, um, in the, we had projects that were happening in the basement. And so as we're getting it ready, it's like, okay, we know we have a lot of projects to do in the basement. But what caught us off guard were all the other projects throughout the house that we just didn't see anymore. And we didn't see these projects, the cracks that were in the walls or painted chip throughout uh, paint, chip paint throughout the house or even cracks in uh, cement, like all these different things that needed to be done around the house before we put it up for sale. We had grown so familiar, we lived in this place that we didn't see these flaws anymore, right? Like these are things that we grew numb to. We almost had blinders that were over our eyes. And so after we finished the basement and I'm scouring the house, the list of all these different projects just surmounts what I had even fathomed would have to happen. And so there's just this massive amount of tension and anxiety as we're trying to get this whole thing built up. <clears throat> this is what it's like whenever we look at stories like this. Now, Here's what I want us to see, all right? These blinders that may be over our eyes with the familiarity that we look at stories like this, I want us to take off the blinders. And here's the thing that I think our familiarity blinds us from when we look at a passage like this. It's Noah's faith. As you look at a passage like this, Noah's faith is astonishing. All right? You look at Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of faith. Noah's there. And Noah's there because of the incredible faith that he's exerted in passages like the ones we're looking at throughout the course of the next five weeks. Here's what Hebrews 11, cha chapters, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 7, if I can speak, my goodness. Here's what it says. My, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Three times in one verse. The only word that's repeated throughout the whole entire verse is faith. We look at this life of Noah. We see the familiarity with this story 
We want to move and skim past it, but we need to stop because I believe there is something astonishing about his faith that every single one of us needs to gaze at, reflect on, and wrestle with within our own life. So that's what I want us to do here tonight. I want to zero in on Noah's faith tonight. Look, let's be reminded of the extravagant faith that was exerted by Noah in this story that we have heard maybe from since the time we were little toddlers and we have our very first memories of being in the church. Maybe you didn't even grow up in the church. You still had like the lamps that had Noah at the base of it in your room that you turned the light on before you went to bed. Those are kind of like the familiarity, but let's stop. Let's be reminded by the beauty of this man's faith, all right? And so here's what I I want us to see about Noah's faith here, three things. Noah's faith, it was one that guided, it's a faith that believes, and then it's also a faith that obeys, all right? It's a faith that guides, a faith that believes, and a faith that obeys. So we see that faith uh, guides from the opening lines of this passage, verses 9 and 10, or just 9. Here's what it says. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries, and Noah walked with God. So right out of the gate here, we see here that faith, like a compass, guides Noah's life. All right? Consider this, how strikingly different Noah's life is from the, his contemporaries that come in just the later verses. All right? So Noah, verse 9, he's a righteous man. He's blameless amongst those he lives with. In verses 11 through 12, here's what is said of the world. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. And God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Strikingly different, right? Completely different. You have this phrase that's used, the righteous and blameless. Very first time it's used in all of Scripture, it's used about Noah. Then you have The world that's filled with corruption, wickedness, and violence. That's everything else that's taking place around Noah. So what makes Noah different, right? If you look at this contrast, what is it that makes Noah different from all the others that lived in his point in time? It's this. Where Noah looks for direction in life is different from everyone else that he lives amongst. All right? So look at this. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. We looked at this last week. This is the ESV version. Here's what it says. We got a hint of where the world looked at uh, for their direction in life. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his what? His heart was only evil continually. Noah was different in that he didn't take direction in life, how he would live his life, how he would pattern his life based off of his own human heart. All right, now, before I I continue on, I need us to recognize this is still the mantra of today. It is still the mantra of today that we live by our heart. All right, here's an example, Steve Jobs. He was giving a commencement speech at Stanford University. Here's one of his main lines in the commencement speech. He says, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Look, everything else is secondary. This is the mantra of our day, right? Like we look at our heart, people tell you to be true to yourself. What are they saying whenever they say be true to yourself? They're saying be true to your heart. 
Be true to the passions and desires and the inclinations of your heart. But here's the problem with that. You can't trust your heart. All right? Jeremiah 17 says this, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. That should cause you to stop. Than anything else in this world, the heart is deceitful. And look, it's incurable. What else can understand it? And in the midst of a world that follows the inclinations of its heart, literally every thought is the pattern of following the inclination of its heart, we get a different pattern with Noah. Because in verse 9, we see the direction where Noah looks for his life. It's at the very end, it says, Noah walked with God. When the, word, uh, when the phrase walked with God is used here, it's talking about a manner of life, all right? It's a pattern. It's the way that Noah carried his life on a day-to-day basis. While the world is looking at the inclinations of its own heart, it's taking its pattern and direction for how it lives out life. Noah is different. Noah is different in that he walks in relationship with this God, and he takes the direction for his life, not from his own heart, but from the very heart of God. This is what we get when you look, if you're kind of really trying to look for clarity of what does it look like to walk with God. Well, it seems that Noah is living off of the wisdom that comes from God because Proverbs speaks to this. All right, Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Look, this lines up with Hebrews 11, verse 7, where it says that Noah lived out of godly fear. Do you see that? So verse 10 in chapter 9 of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is Noah's heart. Noah draws near to God. He walks with God. And as he's walking with God, he has godly fear that heeds to the wisdom of God and how he lives out his life. Then you look at Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Completely contrast to everything that's taking place in his world at this point in time. Verse 6, in all your ways know him and look at this promise and he will make your path straight. This is Noah's pattern for life. Noah walked with God in a world that was bent towards its own heart. I mean, just think what we talked about last week. These are people that are prone, that they are committed to trying to live in a world that is extracted from God. They're doing everything in their own heart in order to try to build a world where God is no longer needed. They're seeking to be divine in the way, in the actions that they take in the very beginning of this chapter. And here we see Noah gives us a completely different imprint. He walks with God. It's his pattern. It's his direction. God is his compass in how he lives and walks and moves throughout this world. And so look, I, I was trying to think of like a, an example of what this looks like in contemporary life. And I'm just, I'm having a hard time even coming to grips with an, an illustration that fully grasps exactly what's going on with Noah at this point in time, right? At the time of the flood, he's 600 years old, okay? So Like the overdone example, it would be like Noah following and walking with God, even against the peer pressure that would happen in like a Nazi Germany. 
the most overused example, right? But I, I just can't think of a better example, right? For 600 years in a world that is filled with wickedness and corruptedness and trying to live separate from God, build a world apart from God, you have Noah who walks with the one living God. In a world that's gone mad with sin, we get an example of what faith that guides you looks like, and it's in the life of Noah, a man that is righteous and blameless among all of those that he lives with. Look, this is astounding, astounding faith. Living a life distinguished like this for as long as Noah did before the flood comes is miraculous. Do you see that? It's astonishing. So that's, this is the first thing that stands out about Noah's faith throughout all of this. You see it right out of the gate that Noah is strikingly different from everyone else that is in the world at his point in time. We see the second in the largest section of the passage, verses 13 through 21. And this is where Noah believes God's word. Noah's faith believes, all right? So instead of trying to reread through all the verses, let me just give you some of the commands that God gives. Just try to wrap your mind around the news that Noah is receiving from God at this point in time, all right? So here's what it starts out with. Verse 17, God tells Noah that he's going to flood the earth and that all will perish, all right? Verses 14 through 16, Noah is instructed to go and build an ark, Verses 19 through 20, God will bring to the ark two of every living creature, both male and female. And then Noah is to gather food for his family and the animals that they might live through this coming flood, as well as provide for these animals that God's going to bring to the ark. All right. Now, first, imagine that God speaks to you. <laughs> like, just imagine that. Right? Every other example that we get throughout the Bible, it's either fear or confusion that's met when God speaks audibly to his people. And I, I mean, just try to even fathom hearing God's voice in this world, just his audible voice is astounding enough. But then try to put yourself in Noah's shoes, all right? Try to wrap your mind around the news that Noah has just heard from God. A flood that would come to this world that would drown the highest mountains is what Genesis chapter 7 tells us. Like Mount Everest would be consumed by these floods. Like astonishing. An ark that would literally house the whole entire world, right? right so the estimate of this is that there would be about twenty to 40,000 different animals that were on this ark that would then like go throughout this flood and be preserved. Literally the whole world in one boat. That he would need to contain food. He'd need to bring in food, not only for his own family, but for all of these different creatures in order for them to survive this massive flood that's about to hit the earth. Like imagine being Noah hearing this. Look, no one could fathom this. You can't dream this up. There, and even if you were to try to put on your conspiracy hat, like you put on the, the tinfoil hat and you try to come up with all the different conspiracy theories, which many of us are great at in this room, all right? Like if you're trying to come up with all the conspiracy theories, no one could possibly fathom that God was about to move throughout the world in this particular way. 
Like, you, you would not, like, your response would not be, ah, that makes sense. That would not be you. Human rationality is like, God, you're crazy. What in the world are you talking about? You're going to flood the world. I'm supposed to bring all these animals? I'm supposed to have all this food? Like, there's no, there's, you can't compute it, right? Like, you can't even fathom what God is speaking to you. But then what does Noah do? He believes, right? Like, we know how the story ends. We all know the movement throughout the story. Noah believes. Now, what I need you to calculate here is how Noah believes, all right? So throughout scriptures, oftentimes, people are doubting God, and so they ask for dreams. So later in Genesis, you're going to see Jacob, and you're going to see Joseph. God meets them in dreams, and then you see belief that takes place in Exodus, You see that God raises up Moses in order to free God's people from Egypt. What happens when God shows up in a burning bush? Symbol number one, that God's doing something, right? He speaks to Moses. Moses is still unclear and he's still unsure about going. What does God do? He tells him to take his staff and to throw it on the ground and it turns into a snake and then he snatches it up again and it's a staff again. You get miracles. Look, This doesn't happen with Noah. What happens with Noah is God speaks and then Noah believes. Like, look, in a world where we are so busy piling receipts for promises that have been made to us, Noah looks at the command of God and says, I'm going to trust you. Can you fathom that? God is telling you he's going to do something the world has never seen, could never fathom that God would be a person and a thing and one that would intervene in such a way in the way that he is placed before Noah and Noah believes his word. Incredible faith. Look, none of us in here have followed God to the extent by which Noah, has, his faith has believed God's word. It's astonishing. All right, so first, his faith, it guides his life. And then secondly, his faith believes. He believes the word of God. He's not asking for these dreams. He's not asking for these miracles. He believes the word of God. And then we see the final one, that his faith obeys in verse 22. And Noah did this, and he did everything that God had commanded him to do. So look, up until this point, you could make the argument that all of his belief, all of his faith has been very personal, right? So you, you live by faith. He's guided by faith. You could say, well, you can do that pretty quietly, right? So maybe his life looks contrary and different to the world, but maybe Noah's a, a pretty quiet guy, keeps to himself. And so maybe there's instances and there's times that people have noticed the different life that Noah lives before them, but it still feels very personal. Then you have God... Uh, show up to Noah, and Noah's faith believes. So he believes in faith. But you could argue it's just a personal encounter with God, right? At this point, this is just a direct voice that Noah has heard from God regarding the command that God gives Noah to go out and do. Yeah, his faith believes that all these things are going to happen, but at this point, still pretty personable, right? Like there's not a lot of publicity to what's going on. Verse 22, very public. Obedience requires publicity here, right? The, the 
the instructions that are given to Noah in terms of what he's to do in order to obey God's command requires something that is extravagant that you cannot hide from anybody else. The ark that Noah is building, look, you can't hide it. All right, here's some of the measurements that were given. So the measurements that are given for how long this thing is to be, it's over half a football field long. It's three stories high, all right? And the, each of these three stories are essentially the equivalent of uh, 250 single-decked stop, stock cars, all right? So a uh, railroad, if you see like a stock car, is like that ring a bell for you, like you've seen that on the railroad, or maybe like a little construction set, I don't know. So, uh, like 250 single-deck stock cars that are piled up on each of the different decks of this boat, housing 20 to 40,000 different animals. You, you can't hide this sucker, right? <laughs> like, there, there's not, even if you're in the sticks of Missouri, somebody's going to come and find this bad boy over the course of 100 to 120, 140 years that Noah's constructing this thing. Like, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to draw people's eyes, right? You know what I'm saying? Now, not only is this thing massive, but then you also have to consider the length of time by which Noah is building this thing. Imagine the time and attention that it took with just about seven hands to take what God had commanded Noah and to put his faith to action that you would have to cut, go out and cut down all of these trees. And so after you cut down all these trees, you have to figure out how do we transport it all back to the work site. And then after we get all the supplies back to the work site that we have to figure out how do we piece this thing together. Literally nobody's ever put a boat like this together in the whole entire world. No one can fathom what God is about to do. So why would anybody ever think about building a boat this size? And as you're trying to figure out and piece this whole thing together, it takes over a hundred years for all of this to happen. I mean, imagine the questions that likely come Noah's way. Noah, what do you think you're doing? Like, Noah, what gives you the right to all of these different resources? Like, who told you to do this, Noah? And as all of these questions are coming to Noah, imagine what Noah had to tell them, right? Imagine just the shame that he may have felt because he knows exactly what people are going to think as he gives them the truthful answer. God spoke to me. He told me that he's going to flood the world, that he's going to bring to me all these different animals, that these floods are going to consume the whole entire world. Everyone's going to perish and only my family and the animals on the boat are going to survive. And I have all these resources to make sure that we get through it. Can you imagine what people's response would be? Like imagine, like again, conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat. Imagine God speaks to you audibly and says, I need you to build a spaceship, all right? I need you to build a spaceship. You're gonna go off into the atmosphere. I'm gonna destroy the world. And oh, by the way, it's gonna take you over 100 years to build this bad boy. Like imagine what people would say to you, right? You'd be crazy. You'd be insane to them, all right? Like, imagine the ridicule that would come your way. Imagine the assertions. Noah, you're mad. Imagine the police phone calls that are being made about Noah at this point in time because of the neighbors that are looking in on what he's doing and like, this guy's a madman. 
He's built, like the stories that he's telling me, he's insane. He's probably being trying to take him to an insane asylum if he's in our day. Imagine the mockery that's coming towards Noah. Oh, Noah's the guy that the voice of heaven spoke to him, and he's going and he's caring about all these different commands. Imagine the judgment that comes his way. Noah, you're stockpiling all these different resources for this massive boat that you're talking about that God's going to come do this extraordinary, bizarre thing. Do you know how many people need all this food? All this food that you're storing up for all these animals and for your own family. Do you know how many people need that, fa- that food throughout this world? Like, that's the things that are probably coming Noah's way, but not just Noah's reputation that's before all this. Imagine you're in a world that's filled with wickedness and violence, so it's not just his reputation that's likely on the line. There's people that are probably scheming for his life, threatening his family. All these things coming in Noah's way, yet in light of all of this. All that we see over and over again throughout the Bible is that Noah obeyed. Just radical faith, right? Like astonishing faith. I mean, if you step back and you think and you consider about this story, that Noah in a world that's gone mad with sin, he is one that walks with God and is guided by his faith. In a world where no one can fathom what God could possibly be up to, Noah believes at the moment of hearing God's word. In a world that is filled with ridicule and rejection, in the midst of all this, Noah obeys in faith. He goes out over not just a hard few years, but an extended period of time and doesn't give up. This is the faith that Noah has. It's extraordinary. And the familiarity that we have with this passage should not blind us to this kind of faith. We need to take the blinders off and gaze at the story because, look, his faith is incredible. It should be challenging. It should be convicting. There should be so many different things that are probably running through your soul as you look at this particular passage. But yet, Lee, we're so familiar with the passage. It's just like we want to move forward. All right. So here's what should be stirring inside of you. All right. So what? Maybe that's what, like, is the response that you have. Like, God's promised he's not going to do this again. So what? Like, so what about Noah's faith? Well, look, Noah's faith led to life. Do you see that? Like, Noah's faith here led to physical life and spiritual life, all right? Not just the physical in terms of his life was preserved. That happened. But also, you look at the way that Noah walked with Jesus. He walked with God throughout this world. What we know from what the rest of the Bible says about this is that there's fulfillment when you walk with God in this way. Like Noah experienced life physically here in this world as he walks with God. You also see that Noah has saving faith here. We're going to get into that here in a second, that there is a spiritual life that takes place in him because Hebrews 11 tells us that he is a man of faith. He is an heir of righteousness because of his faith. That's what happens here. And so look, if this is true, Noah, he receives a life because of the faith that is exerted here. Then the thing that should be stirring inside of us is then how do I get that faith? How do I get the faith that Noah exerts here? When I first started, it's like, so what? God's not going to do this. But if it leads to life that I get to experience joy and satisfaction here and now, but I also get an eternity of life, then it should spur inside of us. Then how do I get this faith? Now, there's two things, all right? 
First one that we need to see here is that faith is a gift. It's not just a personal decision. Faith is a gift. It's not just a personal decision, including for Noah, all right? Noah didn't just decide, this is a better way for me. I'm going to walk with God throughout this world. In a world that everyone's living downstream, I'm going to live upstream by walking with God. It's not just this personal decision. It's a gift, all right? So consider this with me. Lamech's prayer, his father, Genesis 5, verse 29. Lamech prays over his son. Here's what he prays. And Lamech called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief Literally, Noah's name means comfort or comfort there from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So before Noah even comes into this world, he already has his dad that's praying over his life a different thing for him than what anybody else had been praying over or even scheming for their own offspring. And then you get in Genesis 6 verse 8, it says, Noah, however, in light of all of the atrocities that are going on in the world. It says, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. The word favor there is grace. What is grace? It's an unmerited gift, something you don't deserve. So look, this faith that, that Noah lives out in his life is not just a personal decision that he makes. It's actually a gift from the God Almighty. God is carrying out his promises. He's the one that's faithfully living before his people the things that he's told them that they're going to do, even though they've completely rejected them. There's one Noah who receives grace. He receives faith, and he walks with God. And it's no different than with us either, okay? Here's what the New Testament tells us. Here's what the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, one of the best verses that you could possibly fathom, says this, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is what? It's like God's gift. So look, this faith is not just a faith in an idea. It's a faith that's rooted in a person. It's not a faith that it's like, okay, I, I think there are better days ahead or I'm gonna have faith in the good of humanity. That is not what's taking place here. This is a faith that is rooted in a person and that person is Jesus Christ. God come to the world, man that is completely divine, fully God, fully man. And look, this Jesus is the one that gives you relationship because of everything that he will do for you. So look, this Jesus is not just righteous before his contemporaries or blameless before his contemporaries, but he's blameless and he's righteous before God. No one in this world can ever claim the perfection and the holiness and the right walking that Jesus has in this world. No one can claim that. No one can claim the fame that Jesus had as he walked with God because throughout Jesus' life, we constantly see that Jesus is getting away from the crowds, spending time with his Father, and through this, he's being empowered by the Spirit that has come upon him to live this world, to live perfectly. He's the one that's never given in to sin. Noah is blameless before his contemporaries. Jesus is blameless in all of life. Sin does not touch him. And this Jesus 
goes and he lays his life down for you. This Noah that gets on a wooden ark and escapes God's judgment, Jesus climbs the wood so that he can experience all the judgment so you don't. Do you see that? This boat that is lacked on with all these different things, these different materials in order that the water doesn't penetrate you, but doesn't penetrate the boat. Look, the blood of Jesus has consumed you. The righteousness of Christ has covered you to where no one can pluck you out of God's hand, all because of the work that Jesus has done for you. You hear that? Look, Jesus is the one that we place our faith in. We look at his life and we say, I place all of my eggs in Jesus' basket because Jesus has lived the life that I was supposed to live. Then he went and died on the cross completely for my sins. And then because he's fully God, God could not be contained by death and Jesus rises. He's victorious over the grave. That is where my hope is. That's where we place our hope. It's in a person, not in any idea. So look, it's not just a personal decision. It's a gift. And so if the question is, how do I get it? It's you plead, you pray, you beg, God, give me this faith. There's nothing that I can do to earn it or deserve it. It's freely given to me at Christ's expense. And so look, you go to this living God and you beg and you plead for this faith that Noah exerts here and then this goodness of God is that he hears your prayers and he responds. God's heart is always bent towards sinners. He's always seeking out those that are lost. He's always ready to welcome in those that lay down the rights to their life in order to receive the goodness and graciousness of the living God. And so look, you pray and you plead and the beauty of it is that God hears your prayers and he answers and he gives because he delights in giving good gifts, faith in Christ. So now, like the question may be, all right, so I, I take this step, but then what comes after, right? Like, so I need faith to get in, but then what does it look like for me to continue forward? Well, the second thing here is that faith is not antiquated, but it's still the pattern of the Christian life, all right? You don't step into faith with Jesus. You don't come and beg and plead that this grace, this gift that comes from God, this faith that we cannot earn or deserve that's given to us, it's not that we get that and then it's like, okay, what do we do throughout the rest of our life? This is the pattern of the Christian life. They continue living on in this faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. This is still true for us today. All right? So, Noah was guided by his faith in the way that he lives. It's the same for you and me. We do the same thing. Romans chapter 12 gives a beautiful depiction of what it looks like for us to walk with God, to continue to live in faith. We live by the love of God's heart, not by our own heart. And so here's just a synopsis of what you see in Romans chapter 12, that we take the lead in honoring others, right? We don't, we're not waiting for all the attention and for people to honor us, but we take the first step towards honoring other people. We are patient in affliction. We are persistent in prayer. We share with others in need. Literally speaking of our resources, those that have little, we give of our gifts that God has given to us, our resources, because that's what God has done for us. We pursue hospitality. Literally, you welcome in the strangers into your circles. We bless those who persecute us. We don't return vengeance with the things that happen to us, we leave that to God. 
We rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. We endure persecution. We live at peace with everyone. We do not associate with the proud, but we live with the humble. We do, we do not repay evil for evil, but actually we return it with grace. We turn the other cheek. All these things are in Romans chapter 12. How do you do this? You live by faith. You live by faith. You look at what Christ has done for you and you say, that's what I'm gonna do in the way that I live before other people. You walk with God just as Jesus walked with him. Through faith, we believe God's word. Immense promises that are given to us as God's people, right? That God will never leave us or forsake us. That the promises of his kingdom, while they're experienced in part now, will be experienced in full. The adversity that we experience here, the persecution, the questions that we have about what God is doing in our life, we live out of the promise that we know that God is working all things for our good. We look at the word of God and we believe. That's what it looks like for us to continue to live in faith. Through faith, we obey God's commands. We're the people that, like, I know that, like, oftentimes we get a little antsy about what it looks like when it's living in faith, following commands. But that's exactly what the Bible tells us. 1 John 2, 3 says that we prove that we love, we love God by obeying his commands. And look, verse 4, the very next one, if we don't follow God's commands, the Bible tells us that we are liars and the truth is not in us. Now here's the thing, following God's commands is often hard. We still live in broken bodies. We, see, we feel the waging war between what we are and what we were waging our flesh here in the present now. And so Jerry Bridges, he says this, and I, I think he's so right. Faith enables us to obey when obedience is costly or seems unreasonable to the natural mind. So look, for us to walk in obedience that we live out the Ten Commandments, if you look throughout the history of Christianity, there's three things that you kind of disciple a new Christian in. It's the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. And so we, if you want to follow and live in obedience, it's faith living out God's commands, the Ten Commandments. Or it's we live in faith when we obey Christ by choosing to serve other people rather than seeking the people to serve us. There's faith that happens there. Our natural bent in life is we want people to do things for us, but we look at the gospel and what Jesus has done for us who laid down his life as a ransom for many. We look at what Christ has done and we take up the cup, we take up the towel and we wash other people's feet Literally and metaphorically throughout this life, we do it in faith that we believe this is the best way that we follow God's commands. We do this when we practice the Great Commission. When we go out and we share our faith with other people, what happens to us? We get all antsy inside because it's like, I don't know how people are going to respond. I don't know if anybody's ever going to believe. But if we take up the commands of the Bible and we take up the promises of God and you marry the two, we know that when we go out and share our faith that there will be some who believe. You get that? You follow me? Like, when we live in faith and obey, it's God doing this unique work in our life where we're bringing both the promises and the commands of God together, believing that what God has called us to do is what's best for us and the best life that we can live here and now. You see that? So look, this isn't an antiquated way. It's still the pattern for the Christian life here and now. 
Faith is a gift. It's not just a decision. And so we come to Jesus begging and pleading for this faith, and we know that he is kind and that he responds. But it's not just that we move on from this. It's the actual pattern for the Christian life. And so we live and are guided by our faith. We believe with faith in the words that God has given us. And then look, we obey his commands with faith. I love how A.W. Tozer will tie it. Will, end with this. I love the way that he kind of ties all of this together. He has this quote that I, he expresses what faith says. So literally, Christian, like let this kind of be like the cry of your soul right now, all right? Here's what it says. Anything he did anywhere else, he will do here. Literally in human history, what he's done, I believe that he can do it now. Anything he did any other time, he's willing to do now. Anything he ever did for other people, he's willing to do for us. With our feet on the ground and our head cool and with our heart ablaze with the love of God, we walk out in this fullness of the Spirit if we yield and we obey. That's what faith says in the human heart, all right? Look, Noah is an example for us. It's extravagant faith. It's beautiful faith. It's convicting faith. But it's what we're called to do as well. It's a gift, and it's the pattern for the Christian life. May we be the people that live into it. Amen? Let's pray.